Happy Father's Day. All right, here's 10 reasons uh, it's good to be a man. You ready for these? <laughs> Top 10 lists, why it's good to be a man. All you women can be jealous. Number 10, you know stuff about tanks. Number nine, you can go to the bathroom without a support group. <clears throat> Number eight, if somebody forgets to invite you to something, he can still be your friend. Number seven, you can drop by and see a friend without bringing a little gift. That's probably my favorite. Number six, if another guy shows up at the same party in the same outfit, you might become lifelong friends. Number five, one wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all seasons. Unless you're married, then that may not work. Number four, there's always a game on somewhere. Number three, your pals can be trusted never to trap you with, so notice anything different? That's good. Number two, if somebody th something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer and throw it across the room. And number one, you can do your nails with a pocket knife. <laughs> Top ten reasons why it's so good to be a... Dad, dads, your families need you. That probably needs to be said more and more in our culture today than any other phrase. Dad, your families need you. Your wife needs you, your kids need you, and the world needs you to be a dad. Time Magazine in 2000, <clears throat> in May, had on their cover of their magazine, The Hottest Jobs of the Future. And if you read that article, you would find out that fatherhood was listed as the occupation that would disappear in the next century. This is what the article says. Quote, between inverto fertilization and cloning, dads will soon become dinosaurs. Dads, your families need you. This kind of thinking is anti-biblical. It's anti-God's plan. Noah felt this burden with his boys, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, right after the flood. Actually, before the flood and all through his life. 601 years old, Noah is still a dad to these boys. As we've been talking about, the sin nature was carried on the ark with the family. God didn't start again with a brand new Adam and Eve with no sin uh, with no sin, nature already knitted in there and waited for them to fall like Adam and Eve did. Noah and his family brought the sin nature with them. God saved them because he loved them, but they still had the sin nature. And Noah demonstrated this by planting a vineyard and getting stone cold drunk. As a result of that, Ham demonstrated that he too retained the sin nature in the way that he behaved toward his dad, mocking him and dishonoring him in his drunken stupor. Noah felt, I think, a burden to be a good and relevant father to his boys. And so how would he treat his boys after they demonstrated their sin nature? Now, Shem and Japheth, they covered their father's sin. You remember that? And we discovered that that's what God loves. God loves it when love covers a multitude of sins. Ham, however, mocked and made fun of his father. And so Noah went into father mode. And here's what he did in Genesis 9 and verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants 
shall he be to his brothers. Canaan was Ham's son. Ham's line, in other words, was now cursed because of what Ham had done in mocking Noah's sin. Shem and Japheth covered Noah's sin. Noah was wrong. He was, he, his, his, it was sin. But Shem and, Ham did the, or Shem and Japheth did the honorable thing and covered their father's sin. And as a result of that, Noah pronounced blessings on them. In the next verse, he also said, Noah says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now, Noah's, Noah's blessings and cursings here on their actions of his boys was an act of discipline. The Bible says that if we dads don't discipline our children, we literally hate our children. That's in the book of Proverbs. If you love your child, you discipline your child. This is an amazing sort of discipline that Noah does with his sons because it is both prophetic and predictive. What I mean by that is it's prophetic in that he finds God's will in what the sons should have done, particularly with Ham, and he underlines it. He says, if you continue in this way, this is the kind of life that will be revealed in you. If you do not, if you do not, um, if you reject Ham's way and live in the, in, uh, Japheth and Shem's line, you will prophetically be in a line that will become blessed. All of the boys were taught by Noah, and he tried, I'm sure, to teach them properly. And like any good father, you kind of hope that your kids duplicate the good and leave behind the bad. Now, that doesn't always work, as you know. In other words, and I'm not telling you anything new because... Uh, one, one of the things that psychologists always talk about is, let's talk about who your parents were. Japheth and Shem lived by Noah's example overall. Ham chose to turn his back on Noah's teaching. And so Noah disciplined Ham for his behavior, as a proper father would do. In an effort to bring Ham back to God, he teaches him, as I'm sure he has for 600 years, that if Ham continues on this path that he's on, the, what will happen if you continue on that path will be painful, it will be discouraging, it will be life-destroying. And so his, his discipline that he gives to Ham is prophetic because if Ham doesn't change his ways, he predicts how his children and their children and their children would turn out. Ham fills a full effect on this occasion. I can imagine if you're a dad and you did something stupid like Ham did and you hear your dad bring a curse on your children, you would probably say, Dad, put that curse on me. Wouldn't you? You'd say, I don't want it on my kids. Put that on me. But I think what Noah is doing is he's saying, Ham, if you don't change your ways, you are teaching your children a path that they will go down, and that path will lead to self-destruction, and it will lead to a life of shame. And so he pronounces the curse, which is prophetic, on Ham's sons. And then, and then they obviously live with the repercussions if they would not change their way from following their father's example. 
It was also predictive. It's predictive in the fact that if our children watch our examples, now this is the encouraging part of the message, they will either accelerate our righteousness or accelerate our unrighteous behavior. Dads, if you want to be the best father you can be to your children, you need to be the best follower of Jesus you can be for God. Because if that is your prime goal, your kids will replicate that in their own lives. They will see that. That will become the thing that they will remember after you're gone. If you give them an ongoing bad example, I can pretty much predict what will happen with your children as they grow up. They will replicate the bad behavior that they see in their dads. The divorce rate is accelerating because our children see their parents give up and flee rather than try and reconcile. Now, I understand that is a blanket statement, and it may not be true for every circumstance, but when the divorce rate is over 50%, there's something seriously wrong with our dads. Our children will either accelerate the righteousness that they see or they will accelerate the unrighteous behavior that they see. Ham's behavior, I believe, plotted the direction for where his children and their children would go. And, Ham, uh, and Shem and Japheth had honorable actions. And a result, as a result of that, their children were blessed. Now that's all introduction. Because I want to do a little history study with you that's going to shock you as to where these generations, these genealogies go. In Genesis chapter 10, all you have is genealogies. After the curse, you get to see where Ham's kids went, where Japheth's kids went, and where Shem's kids went. And you get to see the curse lived out. So let's talk about a father's curse. Genesis 10 and verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Chapter 10 is full of genealogies. If you read through it, you'll get extremely frustrated and bored because the words are hard to say and you'd have no idea any of the histories unless you read the Bible or your history buff. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of put it into a little box for you this morning and give you a, an overall glimpse of where these genealogies ended up going. Now, you could easily skip over chapter 10 of Genesis, but you would miss an amazing example of history in Scripture. Scripture is not given to us so that it would be a history book, but it never denies, it never contradicts historical record. Uh, you should know this. Uh, about 20 years ago, uh, most people believed that Genesis 10 was rubbish because they couldn't find any uh, examples of many of the tribes and nations that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. Even the most liberal scholars would go to Genesis 10 first of all, and they would say, see, this proves the Bible is true. You can never find any of these people in human history. Fast forward 20 years, with all of our discoveries, discoveries in archaeology and, and uh, uh, discoveries that we have found since then, and even the most liberal scholars will look at Genesis 10 and they'll say, this is amazing because everything we're finding is backing up Genesis chapter 10. Here's a quote from one of the most liberal scholars. 
He writes, the 10th chapter of Genesis stands absolutely alone in ancient literature. It is where we find the closest approach to a distribution of peoples in the genealogical framework. The Table of Nations remains an astonishingly accurate document. Table of Nations being Genesis chapter 10. So let's read. First of all, Japheth. Again, don't get bored. Stay with me. You'll understand where, where I'm going here in a minute. And I'm not going to get all these names right, so I'm going to go fast so you assume that I do know what I'm talking about. The sons of Japheth. Gomer. Do you remember Gomer and Magog? Anybody remember those? That's another name for what? Russia. Gomer and Magog. You read about it in Revelation. Gomer and Magog will take on, uh, will be a part of, in some way, the end times. Gomer, Magog, Medi, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus, sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riptha, and... I can just read them down here. Let's say it together. <laughs> Togerma, the sons of Javan, Ash... Uh, they should have English names. Elisha, hey, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastlands people spread in their lands. Geographical focus is, is mentioned in chapter 5. Each with his own language, by their clans, and in their nations. All right, and it goes on from there. I'm not going to give you any more from Japheth. Other than to say, Japheth became the father of Indo-European descendants. Now, what does that mean? It means that they moved westward toward Persia and, Asia, and India, and they moved east and north into Europe, and because they were in Europe, they are where we came from, because we came from Europe. And I know it's July 4th coming up, and we'd want to ignore that fact, but yes, we did. We are Europeans, all right? So, uh, America, our descendants, most of us are descendants of Japheth, interestingly enough. Shem. Shem tended to stay in the Middle East. To Shem also were the father of all the children of Eber. This is, by the way, Eber is where we get the word Hebrews from. Remember, there's no Hebrews on the planet in Noah's day, right? Eber came from there, and that's where we get the word Hebrew from. The elder brother of Japheth, children were born, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, the other guy, Lud, Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz. Oh, by the way, Job came from the land of Uz. You remember that? Not Oz, but Uz. Hul, Gether, Mash, Arpashad, father, uh, fathered Shelah, Shelah fathered Eber. Eber were, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Pegleg, Peleg. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almodad, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadarem, Uzal, Dikla, Obel, Abimel, Sheba, Ophir, and then two other. And these were the sons of Joktan. The territory which they lived extended from Misha in the direction of Sefer to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, languages, lands, and their nations. Whew. All right. Now, Japheth and Shem are not the longest. The longest one is Ham. Now, I'm not going to go through all of Ham because I want to pull out some of them for you because you may not have known very many of Japheth's descendants, of which you are one, and you may not know very many of Shem's descendants, which most of them turned to the Middle East, the Jewish nation. Jesus came out of Shem. America came out of Japheth. But Ham's descendants, you know a lot of these people. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, Canaan. The sons of Cush, Sheba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, 
Sabtika, the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dadan. If you read through this, you, you recognize some of these, right? They're in the scripture all over the place. Most of Ham's descendants ended up in South Africa. Cush is a word for Ethiopia. That's where we know as Ethiopia today. Put is Libya. That's what we know as Libya. These are uh, South African countries, Asian countries are included here as well. To make this a little easier on you, let me just give you a list of names you would recognize if we had time for you to hear me struggle with all of these words. These are some names you might recognize. From Ham's descendants, Canaanites, Egyptians, Cushites, Jebusites, Amorites, Assyrians, Sodom and Gomorrah, Ninevites, Philistines, and the people who built the Tower of Babel were all descendants of Ham. When Shem came into the Promised Land, his were the Jewish descendants. The Jewish descendants had to get rid of the people who were in the land already, and the people who were in the land were called Canaanites. They were Ham's descendants. In contrast to the curse of Ham, the blessings of Shem and Japheth stand out. Shem's line tended to stay in the Middle East. Jesus comes through Shem. Japheth's line moved to Indo-European countries and birthed great nations of the world, the, the, were, the nations that we all have studied, Greece, Persia, India, England, and the United States of America. Now, can you believe all of these people came from these three boys? We're all descendants in one way or another of these three kids. And while it is not true that everybody in that list are, uh, are, are, are pagans, it is true that a large portion of those people in Ham's line were idol worshipers and haters of God. The message today is simply this. Your behavior today will determine the reality of your children later. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 says it this way. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. You ever see a shrub in the desert? What do we call those in uh, Westerns? Tumbleweeds, a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Fathers, choose to neglect the teaching of the Lord and you will not see any good come your way. According to Jeremiah. According to Psalm chapter 1, blessed is a man who stands not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor stands in the way of the unrighteous. Um, and then it talks about, uh, 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 oh, Psalm chapter 1. Oh, now I've got to get it for you. Because it parallels uh, Jeremiah so closely, uh, this passage we're looking at, and now my computer won't do it for me. Anyway. Uh, I got it memorized, but I can't remember it. All those names knocked me off. All right. If you choose to live by your flesh and neglect of the Lord, you will live on your own strength, and that will be what your children will mirror. You will pass that curse on to your children. 
If you get frustrated because things don't go your way and you don't look to the Lord, you just try and try and try and try, guess what your kids are going to end up doing? I mean, it's both prophetic and predictive. Prophetic in that God said it's going to happen if you do that. Predictive in that if you teach your kids the wrong way, it's going to be really hard for them to turn, those, turn that car around. Fathers, you are the central piece for laying the groundwork of where your family will go, if they will be blessed or they will be cursed. Now, am I telling you anything you don't know? Hopefully not. But just in case I am, let me give you a couple of statistics. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%, that's 32% the average. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 85%. 80% of rapists come from fatherless homes. I can't even believe they did these statistics. That's, by the way, from Justice and Behavior. I have all the facts to back these up if you want them afterwards. 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. Here's one that'll shock you. Daughters of single parents without a father involved in their lives are 53% more, more likely to marry as teenagers and 711 times more percent more likely to have children as teenagers. 711% times more likely. They are 164% more likely to have a premarital birth and 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. And 43% of children in America live in fatherless homes. So you might be sitting there and saying, Craig, can you honestly lay this at the feet of the fathers? Well, there are other stats to be sure. There are other factors to be sure in these lives. But stats don't lie. There's a great burden to being a father. If you're a dad, there is a great burden on your shoulders to be the kind of dad that you need to be for your children. It's not a burden that you take on yourself. It's not something you sign up for. It's something that is in your DNA as a man who is given the blessing of having children in your homes to be the kind of father you need to be. Dads, your family need you. As someone once said, one, one way to correct your children is to correct the example you're setting for them. Best place to start is by making sure your life is right with God. The second best place to start is making sure your life is right with your wife. So that's all the curse part. Do you feel the weight of that, dads? Can you feel the weight of that on your shoulders? If you haven't until now, something's wrong with you. If now's the first time you're feeling the weight of what it means to be a dad, then you've missed some conversations we've been having along the way. Because dads, you are essential to the family unit. And you live in a world that tells you you're not. And you live in a world where women want to take your place. And when there's a vacuum in leadership, it will be filled by somebody. 
But if you follow God's plan, the vacuum in leadership should never happen because dads need their families and families need their dads. I used to hear words like, I'm staying together with my wife for the sake of my family. And for some reason, that became just like, that's not a good enough reason. Seriously? Then what is? What is a better reason than that? Tell me. I'd love to hear it. Because if your kids aren't worth you humbling yourself a little bit to be the kind of husband you need to be for your wife, the kind of dad you need to be for your kids, then there's something wrong with your heart. Because for my kids, I do anything. A little bit of pride killing has got to be at the top of the list. Step in front of a bus, that's an easy choice. That's a one-time decision. You don't come back from that decision, right? I can step in front of a bus for my wife. I'll step in front of a bus for my kids. Fine, that's the easy out. You want to know the hard thing? Not will you die for them. The hard thing is will you live for them? Will you live the kind of life God calls you to live for the sake of your children and for the sake of your family? Because if you're not willing to do that, something's wrong with your heart. You don't get it. And for our kids, for our teenagers, we need to communicate this to them first and foremost. That no matter what you've seen in the past, no matter what you're experiencing with, your, with the people that you go to school with or the people you rub shoulders with, dads are a core part of what a family unit is all about. And when a dad shirks that responsibility, families will suffer. Now, does that happen across the board every single time? No, because God's grace is way bigger than our sin. God's grace can fill in any gaps that we, we put into our lives. But if I, don't, if, I, if I don't preach the whole counsel of God, I'm not doing you a favor. And the whole counsel of God is, dads, your family needs you. You are essential to the building block of what a family unit is. Here's how you can be a blessing. If you continue in reading in Jeremiah, if you get beyond the, hey, if you don't follow God's will for your life, you're going to be a tumbleweed in a salt-filled desert. The next portion of that says in verse 7 of Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man who, what church? That's where it starts. That is where your dedication as a father goes to for its anchor. It is what holds you firm in the position that God calls you to be in. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust, let's say it again, is what, church? In the Lord. He is like a tree, not a tumbleweed now. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots into the stream and doesn't fear when heat comes for the leaves remain green, and it, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You know what that means? It means if you're the kind of man who trusts in the Lord, finds that as your anchor, you're going to be like a tree beside a stream, and when the hard times come, and they will, <laughs> they most definitely will, your roots are going to be so far into the ground that your leaves will always come out. You will always bear fruit. Do you know what that means for us dads? Our kids have a chance. You can give your kids a chance to succeed if you are dedicated to trust in the Lord. 
There's not a lot you can do to guarantee your children will honor the Lord with their lives, but there's a whole lot you can do to guarantee you can hinder their journey along the way. Let me say that one more time because it's like borderline brilliant. There's not a lot you can do to guarantee your children will honor the Lord with their lives, but there's a whole lot you can do to guarantee that you can hinder their journey along the way. What does it mean to be a blessing? In the Old Testament, when fathers gave blessings, they would put their hands on the heads of the children and they would pronounce a blessing on them. We saw Isaac do this with Jacob and Esau. And in Jesus' day, Jesus did this. Did you know that? In Jesus' day, the rabbis, they didn't hang around with the kids. Like the kids, you kind of graduate beyond working with the kids and you move to working with the adults. Although I think sometimes it's easier to work with the kids. But So, no, you didn't hear that from me. That's from John. So, <laughs> when they brought the kids to Jesus... Rabbis didn't spend time with Jesus, and so his disciples said, no, no, kids away, get the kids away. Jesus is dealing with the adults. And Jesus said what? Don't hinder the little children, right? Let the little children come unto me. And then the next verse says, and he put his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. There's such a powerful thing in blessing the lives of these children. I got to see this firsthand, and this is a very intimate story for me, and it's Father's Day, and it's my first one without my dad, but I want you to know one of the last things I saw my dad do last year was he called each one of his children and his grandchildren into the room where he was laying in bed, and he put his hands on them, and he couldn't speak very loud. He brought their faces close, and he whispered blessings into their ears. Blessings are what we give to our kids, dads and moms. You can't expect to live for the devil and think that your children are going to receive a blessing from your life. You want to see something funny? I found this actually as I was studying for this a couple of weeks ago. Here's an obituary that is going to just, okay, here it is. Kathleen Demlo. I don't know how you say that, but this is an actual obituary that appeared two weeks ago. Kathleen Demlo, shunk, was born on March 19, 1938, to Joseph and Gerard Schunk of Wabasso. She married Dennis Demlo at St. Anne's in Wabasso in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle Demlo, and moved to California. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by their parents in Clements, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Schunk. She passed away on May 31st, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. That is an actual obituary. <laughs> yeah. How do you think Gina and Jay felt about their mom? Do you know why they felt that way? She was a crummy mother. And what do you think they received from her life? Hate? vile, bad feelings. Look how old she is. Apparently, it didn't go away over time. They hated their mom, and now they want everybody to know how much they hated their mom and why. You don't think your actions are being watched by the little people around you? They're being watched, and they're being duplicated. Jesus says that you have as much opportunity to curse your children <laughs> Case in point, as you do to bless them. It's your choice. It's our choice, parents, moms and dads. 
Blessing means being nothing more than genuine about who we are in front of our kids. Now, keep in mind, Noah was not perfect, right? We all know that. Noah carried the sin nature on the ark. Noah failed. Noah got drunk. Noah messed all this up and gave him a, a doorway to walk through that ruined his, that brought him curses instead of blessings. Noah was not perfect, and neither are you. And you may sit there and think to yourself, well, I've blown it beyond belief. No, you haven't. You haven't done what Noah did, presumably. I mean, I don't think you have. If you have, we can talk afterwards. You can correct me. But uh, Noah blew it. But Noah had two boys that received his presumably godly instruction. And because of that, their prodigy was blessed. And one boy chose not to. Numerous fathers have dropped the ball and yet ended up blessing their children. Let me say that one more time. Numerous fathers have dropped the ball and ended up blessing their children. You're not done until you're dead. The bulk of their lives, the bulk of Noah's life, exhibiting obedience to God, that's what the kids will recognize. You think I haven't dropped the ball just because I'm the pastor of this church? My kids see as many foibles in me as they see blessings. They see it all. My prayer is that they will recognize my heart belongs to the Lord. And I'm human, so I'll drop the ball. But if you could just forget that, that would be great. Remember, my heart belongs to the Lord. Duplicate that. Replicate that. Live that out. Let that be the blessing I pass on. The greatest blessing you pass on to your children is the blessing of belonging to God first. Before being a good dad, before being a good husband, you belong to God in body and spirit. So my last question is this. How do I be a blessing and not a curse? Number one, dads never stop being a dad to their kids. Noah was, how old was he again? I've said this a lot of times. 601 years old. <laughs> so his kids are like old now. We're not told exactly how old they are, but we are told that they're old now with kids of their own. Noah never stopped leading them, correcting them, rebuking them, blessing them. Never stopped. When do you stop being a dad? Never stop. My dad was a dad to me in powerful ways until he went to see the Lord. And by the way, you never know if you're a good dad or you're a bad dad until you breathe your last. God always loves. I mean, that's what he does. He gives second chances, third chances, fourth, fifth. 5,000. Number two, dads teach their children one people, one race, one ancestor. Racism then is stupid. So, if you believe biblical history, we believe that we all came from the same three sons. We need to teach our kids that racism is just foolish. With decreasing borders in our world today, the demographics have changed drastically. In fact, this is kind of funny. National Geographic had this picture just a few years ago, and they called it the ever-changing face of the world. They predict that by 2050, every human being will look like that. That's what the humans will look like, human, humankind. Uh, not actually as a girl, that's a female, obviously, but... Uh, they predict that's a skin color, that's the eye color, because there's so much intermingling in our world, and our world's becoming smaller faster. 
So, teach your kids that we all descended from the same people, so racism is just silly. And number two, because we're all from one race and one nation, one people, teach your kids gratitude. You're not just lucky you were born in America. You were born here because God destined you to be here, and he expects you to do something with that blessing. And so if you live your life and suck in all your money and suck in all your wealth and suck in all of the blessings that God has and you don't share it with the rest of the world, something's wrong with your heart. You're not just lucky you were born here. You were blessed to be born here, so share those blessings with the world around you. And there's all kinds of ways that you can do that. Genesis 10 proves that geopolitically God determines boundaries and habitations and there's a reason you were born here and I was born in Canada. There's a reason you're born where you are. There's a reason you're born in the family where you are because you're meant to make the most of where God has put you. Number three, God renews our ability to be one people with one God free from the curse of sin and so the third thing is dads personally recognize their gift to be renewed as one people under one God, free from the curse of any sin. In other words, as a father, you've got to teach your kids and you've got to teach your family. You are the mainstay of that family to teach them that God breaks curses. It's what he does. Historically, the, the familial character was tribal. So I drew you a little circle here. Um, so if you look at these tribes, you'll have like, the nation is made up of the smaller tribes. The tribe is made up of the smaller clans. The clans are made up of the smaller family units. And everybody in the Old Testament always identified themselves as a part of this family from this clan, from this tribe, in this nation. Which is great, which is how typically we understand. That's why we know Solomon was the son of David. Um, we get our identity from where we were born. In the Middle East, they still do this. Osama bin Laden, do you know what that actually means? Osama bin Laden means lion, which is Osama. That's what the word means. Bin Laden means son of Laden. So they still identify themselves by where they fit into this unit in the family, in the clan, in the tribe, and in the nation. Uh, they did this in the Old Testament too. Abraham means father of many. Joseph was of the line and the house of David. So they identified themselves with where they were in the breakdown. Jesus comes and he says, wait, 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 wait. We're not going to do that anymore. What we're going to do now is I am giving you every reason to dump the family unit, dump the thing that gives you your soul identity, and you can enter into a new identity that I can give you. You are no longer an American first. You are a child of God first. You're no longer Canadian first. You're a child of God first. You are no longer in the nation of America or Israel or whatever it is. You are adopted into the family of God. Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, gives us a way to be brought right into the family of God. That's what the whole adoption thing is in the New Testament. Christians are adopted into a brand new family. We have new brothers and new sisters, no matter where we go, in every nation, in every continent, throughout time. Even when you're ancient, you'll still have brothers and sisters. I baptized little Madison in, in, the, in the pool. And, uh, and when I baptized her last month, I, I said to her, Madison, I baptize you my sister in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. She's my sister. I, I have sisters around the world from every, every kind of, uh, uh, of background, every, every age group, sisters and brothers because of Jesus Christ. We are in a brand new family. And over and over, God says this in the New Testament in Galatians 3 and verse 28. He says, there's 
neither Jew nor Greek. Let that sink in for a minute. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You don't find your identity in any tribal unit or even in any uh, gender uh, uh, unit any longer. It doesn't matter if women are great and men are bad or whatever your culture wants to pronounce nowadays. What matters is that when Jesus died on the cross, you are brought directly into the family of God. There's no more Jews, Greeks, slave, free, no males or females, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that I am a Jarvis and I belong to my dad. He's, he's my dad. He, that's my family unit. I want to make my dad proud of me. It doesn't take away from the, the last name that you bear. It doesn't, it doesn't take away from the fact that you're an American and you want to honor this country and you want to defend it. It doesn't take anything away from that. It do, certainly doesn't take away from the fact that you're male or you're female because in Scripture you have certain responsibilities if you're male and certain responsibilities if you're female. If you don't like it, God wrote it. I can't argue with it, okay? So those are all true. But what he's getting at is he's saying you don't find your primary identity in any of those things any longer. You find your primary identity in Jesus Christ. And so I put up this, this other uh, circle for you. Do we have that other circle? Yeah, here it is. Jesus Christ, and then there's me. Church, you are not the sum of your parts. Jesus, rid your life of the curse and everything else that you hang on to try and find purpose and meaning in life. And he says, if you find your purpose and meaning in me, you'll find a new way of living. Break the curse. This is why Jesus came. He came to make you a part of his family. Christ in Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Jesus Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might be, receive the promised spirit of faith. Jesus became a curse for you so that the curse could be broken in you. And now you can join his family and be free from the curse. So you say, well, Craig, <clears throat> because I'm from the line of Ham, I'm cursed. Silly, silly, silly. Jesus came to break the curse. Well, Craig, since my dad was an idiot, I'm going to be an idiot. Silly. Jesus came to break the curse. Well, Craig, since my parents never pulled it together, I'm bound to do the same. Silly. Jesus came to break the curse. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become what, church? New. Jesus loves to make new things out of old things. He loves to make stronger things out of broken things. It's what he does. Being free from the curse means that you can change the family trajectory that you are on right now on a dime. You may be thinking to yourself, well, Craig, this all sounds wonderful and good, but I've been a bad example my whole life. I don't know if I can fix it. I got this one issue. My kids see it. My family sees it. I hide it from everybody else, but it's there. God knows it, and I know it, and I wish I didn't have it, and I'm blowing it. Oh, then you misunderstood. Jesus came to break the curse so that you can change the trajectory of your family on a dime. You give your life to Jesus Christ, you watch what he can do with your life. This is why, by the way, I think our church is going through a few different attacks nowadays because there's so many people in our church that have really bowed the knee 
to being the kind of parents or the kind of husbands or the kind of wives or the kind of workers or the kind of citizens they need to be. And because of that, Satan is not, he's having a heyday with us because he doesn't like to lose his players. And there's great accountability in this church and there's great growth in this church and there's great spiritual roots being built in this church. And I think we're a little bit under attack physically, emotionally, a lot of different ways. But we are seeing so many blessings because of the curse is being broken here at Village Church East. It's what Jesus loves to do. He loves to show you the curse can be broken. So if you feel like a cursed individual today, then I've done a bad job of explaining what I'm trying to say. Because what I'm trying to say is there's no cursed individuals anymore unless you choose to stay that way. Because if you come to Jesus Christ, the curse has been taken on the body that hung on that cross. The curse is gone. You don't need to be cursed. You are freed from sin. Why live in it any longer therein? You don't have to be who your parents were anymore. You don't have to be who you used to be anymore. Jesus came to show you a new way. Stop living in prison and start living free. <laughs>